You're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans from the West Coast. I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Thursday, October 21st, and... I've given both Paige and Chad the evening off, and it's just going to be a one-man show today, yours truly. I'd like to spend the next 30 minutes or so, maybe even less than that, having a look at Ohio State's primetime matchup in Bloomington against Indiana this Saturday night. Maybe I'll spend a little time also giving you my thoughts on some of last Saturday's results. I'd like to have a, a, a quick look back at what happened in Iowa City last Saturday with the Purdue Boilermakers really taking the Hawkeyes behind the woodshed in front of their home crowd on homecoming, no less, and really exposing the Hawkeyes and all of their flaws. That was a very surprising result on on at least one level, which was how badly Purdue dominated the game. Uh, But we'll go into that in a little bit. But first, let's have a look at this Saturday. Ohio State, as we all know, coming off a bye, travels to Bloomington to face Tom Allen's Indiana Hoosiers. The game is a 7.30 p.m. Eastern kick on ABC. I believe we'll get Herb Street and Fowler on the call. The line is Ohio State minus 21. I believe that's moved a little bit since the line came out. The over-under is 59 and a half. The Hoosiers come into this game at a disappointing two and four. Losers of three out of their last four. Now, to be fair, they played a pretty tough schedule so far. Perhaps the toughest schedule in the country, if certainly one of them, if if not the toughest. They've had losses to number eleven Iowa, number two Cincinnati, number seven Penn State, and number nine Michigan State. Pretty brutal start here to the first half of the season for the Hoosiers. Now injuries have plagued IU a little bit this season, starting with quarterback Michael Penix Jr., who did not play last week against Michigan State and is day to day with an injury to his throwing shoulder. Now for Penix, this is on top of an ACL injury he suffered late last season. It's unclear if Penix is going to be available this Saturday against the Buckeyes. I think Tom Allen said earlier in uh, earlier this week in one of his press conferences that he's hopeful that Penix will return. Uh, But even if he does return to play against the Buckeyes on Saturday night, you have to wonder how effective he's going to be. Uh, Really, he's been a shell of the player he was in 2020, uh, completing only 53% of his passes this year for four touchdowns and seven interceptions. He's he's not really looked like the same player at all. And I think it was certainly the the, the ACL, lingering ACL issues, uh, probably a factor there. And now he's dealing with a shoulder injury. We'll see if uh, if he does actually take the field on Saturday night against the Buckeyes. The Hoosiers might also be without starting quarterbacks, cornerbacks, pardon me, Taiwan Mullen. Now, Mullen was an All-American last year for the Hoosiers. And Reese Taylor, uh, Tom Allen said in the same press conference earlier this week that he's hopeful the two of them uh, will also play, but we'll see. We're not sure at this stage. Now, I think Hoosier fans would probably tell you that, you know, if Indiana is to make a game out of this one with Ohio State, It would really have to be with their defense, getting after C.J. Stroud with those exotic pressures that they like to bring from the second level with with linebackers and safeties, you know, forcing turnovers, creating short fields for what, let's face it, is a pretty punchless Hoosier offense. 
Now, the Hoosiers come into this game ranked 37th nationally in total defense, giving up 334 yards per game. They're 34th in defensive yards per play, averaging about five yards per play. They're 34th in pass efficiency defense. They're 49th in passing yards allowed. But unlike last season, they're not nearly as good, the Hoosiers, are at at getting after the quarterback. The defense is tied for 111th nationally in sacks with only nine so far this season. They're 98th in tackles for loss and 81st nationally in interceptions with only four so far on the season. Now, if you go back to 2020 and you looked at what was, you know, Indiana's bread and butter and how they were able to spring, you know, all those big upsets over the likes of Penn State and uh, Michigan and, you know, really taking Ohio State down to the wire. They did it by getting pressure on the quarterback and by forcing turnovers, namely interceptions. Now, last year, Indiana finished number two nationally in interceptions with just over two a game. They were 31st in sacks, averaging more than three per game. Not nearly as effective in those areas. Again, 111th nationally in sacks and 81st nationally in interceptions. So, you know, I, I, I'm looking at a text right now from from our friend Doug Maurice of Buckeye Talk. Now, he's actually pretty taken with this IU defense after rewatching their game last week against Michigan State. Now, I'm not going to disagree with Doug that IU defensively played very well in that game against Sparty. I mean, they were in it until the very end, had a chance to win that game late. They held Sparty to 241 yards of total offense. And their star tailback, Kenneth Walker, the third to only 84 yards rushing on 23 attempts. So it was actually a, a pretty pretty good effort by IU. I, now, I'm not entirely certain how good Michigan State's offense actually is. But I, I don't know. I'm looking at the overall numbers in aggregate, what Indiana has done over six games. And I am accounting for a pretty tough schedule against some good teams. And to me, the numbers just don't really tell the story of a defense that can go toe-to-toe with an offense in Ohio State that's you know that's as potent as this one. Let me go through some numbers for the Buckeyes. Now, the Buckeyes lead the country in total offense with 563 yards per game. They also lead the country in scoring offense, 48 and a half points per game. They're second nationally in offensive yards per play with eight point at 8.55. So almost eight and a half, actually over eight and a half yards per play. That's second nationally. They're also second nationally in third down conversion. So they're really tough to get off the field. They're fourth nationally in plays of 20 yards or more with 46, so very explosive. C.J. Stroud, fourth nationally in passing at 340 yards per game. He's second nationally in pass efficiency. You've got Travion Henderson coming in second in the country in yards per carry at 8.74. And you have three receivers in Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, who are all on pace to finish with 1,000 yards receiving. I don't know. I'm looking at a solid Hoosier defense. I don't think it's particularly dynamic. I don't know that they do the things that you would need to do to really put an Ohio State offense this potent, kind of off kilter and and really force them into mistakes. I don't think this Hoosier defense is good enough, not nearly good enough to overcome all of its shortcomings on offense. And and that really is, is the big issue for Indiana in this game. They leave a lot to be desired on that side of the ball. 107th nationally in total offense, 123rd in offensive yards per play, 97th in rushing offense, 88th in passing offense. Now, if Michael Penix is unable to play, 
His replacement, Jack Tuttle, now, he doesn't exactly strike fear into the hearts of opposing defenses. Last week against Michigan State, Tuttle was 28 of 52 for only 188 yards passing, two picks, including a pick six and no touchdowns. Now, my question is, how do you complete 28 passes in a Big Ten football game and only end up with 188 yards passing? It's 3.6 yards complete per completion, 3.6 yards per completion throwing the football. That's not a rushing number. That's Those are passing numbers for Indiana. Uh, I Boy, I tell you, I, I don't know where, how they're going to get any offense, any scoring on that side of the ball without major, major help from the defense, without major, major help from the Ohio State offense in the in the form of mental mistakes, penalties, turnovers, you know, that sort of thing, creating short fields for Indiana. I just, just don't see how Indiana is able to stay in this game. And you look back at, I guess, what you would call the formula that that Oregon showed us for beating Ohio State, which was being very balanced on offense. They The, the Ducks were... 236 yards through the air, 269 on the ground, and they had a bend but don't break defense that got just enough stops to hold on to that game. Now, now the IU defense might, you know, might be able to replicate what Oregon did defensively in that game against Ohio State, but you know, I don't see a Hoosier offense that's even remotely capable of that same kind of offensive balance. You know, they're they're just they just don't have it. That's why I'm I my prediction. I like Ohio State in this game, 51, Indiana, 14. Now, the IU defense might be able to keep this close for a couple of quarters, if that. But but I don't know how the Hoosiers are going to move the ball, as I've already said, uh, not to beat a dead horse there. You know, coming off the bye, the, the Buckeyes should be about as close to 100% healthy as they've been all season on the defensive side of the ball. You've got Cam Brown and Tyreek Smith both expected back. Haskell Garrett is also good to go, which is great news because we remember the last time we saw Garrett on the field against Maryland, he limping off and 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 looked like uh, looked like a pretty serious injury to be honest at the time. But Garrett is also good to go and expected back. This is about as I say, as healthy as Ohio State has been all season on that side of the ball. I'm also really interested to see what adjustments Ryan Day is going to make coming out of the bye. When you consider last year, I thought you know one of Ryan Day's worst called games in his career at Ohio State was against Indiana in the shoe. If you remember, that was a game Ohio State had jumped out to a 35-7 lead and really kind of had their foot on Indiana's throats. And Day just curiously, you know, continued to call these really long developing pass plays that just played right into Indiana's pressure. And Indiana was able to rattle Justin Fields in the second half of that game, force him into some really bad turnovers, come up with a, a couple of key stops. And then, of course, on the other side of the ball, Ohio State uh, got very vanilla defensively. There were some mistakes on the back end that led to a lot of long pass plays, namely to Ty Freifogel in the pass game that allowed to Indiana to hang around in that in that game. So I'm interested to see what adjustments Ryan Day will make against Indiana's pressure. One would think the Hoosiers are going to come into this game and will go for broke defensively and and bring all kinds of pressure from the second level as they're known to do, but maybe especially in this game, really knowing that they've got nothing to lose. What's Day going to install in the offense to help out his young quarterback, C.J. Stroud? to, you know, against that pressure. I, I would think there are huge opportunities for the Ohio State offense to to really make Indiana pay for bringing pressure. So again, I like Ohio State 51, Indiana 14. 
And, you know, honestly, not a really, really strong slate of games. I mean, outside of Ohio State, Indiana, which, you know, to me as an Ohio State fan is interesting, but I don't know that that game's going to have a lot of national interest. If you look around the country, the rest of the, you know, the rest of the slate looks pretty weak. You've got uh, Northwestern visiting Michigan. I don't think Northwestern really has a prayer in that game. Michigan's a 23 and a half point favorite. Perhaps they can catch, Northwestern can catch Michigan looking ahead to their big uh, November 30th, pardon me, October 30th matchup with Sparty in East Lansing and make this one a game. But I, I don't think Northwestern has the horses to do that this season. You have Purdue coming off the big win in Iowa City. I want to spend a little time talking about that game, but you've got Purdue coming off of that win in Iowa City over the Hawkeyes at home against Wisconsin. Now, is Purdue going to fall victim to the the hangover performance that Iowa did last week against them, against uh, you know a Wisconsin team that we know can play defense? Actually, here's a really interesting factoid from this game. Wisconsin's a three and a half point favorite in this game. This game's in West Lafayette, Purdue, coming off a huge win over Iowa, 25th in the country, yet they are a three and a half point dog on their home field against Wisconsin. That's interesting. The, the over-under in that one is 40 and a half, not a lot of points we don't think will be scored in that game. Two really good defenses, top 20, maybe even top 15 defenses going at you toe-to-toe. But I think I like Purdue to prevail in that one. I think a, a little too much David Bell against Wisconsin. Another, I guess, interesting game to to pay attention to, especially if you're an Ohio State fan, Oregon, number 10 Oregon, who has the head-to-head win over Ohio State, as we know, visits the Rose Bowl to play UCLA. Uh, That's Saturday afternoon. That is a 3.30 p.m. Eastern kick on ABC. That's a game, I think, where we're all UCLA Bruin fans. As Ohio State fans, UCLA is only a one-point favorite in that game. But I think that's a game UCLA can win. And hey, why not? Let's let's get that second loss for Oregon. I, I'd, I'd rather see that sooner rather than later. I, I just don't uh, like the idea of a one-loss Pac-12 champion Oregon team with a head-to-head win over Ohio State. I'd like to see them get that second loss. And that might happen as soon as Saturday against UCLA in the Rose Bowl. Looking down the rest of the schedule, I really don't see a lot of other interesting games. Clemson visits Pitt. Pitt's a three and a half point favorite in that game. Now, Clemson, they're really out of the playoff mix, really not worth talking about. And they've really struggled pretty much every single weekend. And uh, yeah, I, I expect Pitt to prevail in that game. Uh, not a ton of intrigue, though, for me in that one, or Ohio State fans, I would think. Alabama's home against Tennessee. They're a 25 point favorite. I don't see uh, Bama blowing that one. I like Bama in that one. Uh, big. And beyond that, folks, I, I just don't see a lot of intrigue in, in any of these other games uh, that are happening the rest of the way. Last night, there was a pretty big upset. That was a Wednesday night game. Appalachian State beat number 14, Coastal Carolina. Not a game I care a ton about. Uh, Coastal Carolina, not a program I care a ton about. But that was an interesting result. A pretty big upset there for Appalachian State. Uh, I, I did want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about what we saw last week. Purdue going into Iowa City and coming away with an impressive, really a blowout win, a game that they controlled really from the jump over number two, Iowa. I think what we learned from that game, uh, we learned a lot from, from, I think, about both programs, both teams from that game. First of all, I think with Iowa, we had been waiting for a a game like this where they would kind of meet their match uh, defensively. 
that offense, in other words, and, and would really struggle to move the football and the defense would not be able to carry them as they have most of the year. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, you know, Purdue was, uh, you know, really beyond dominant in that game. David Bell had a huge performance. Uh, actually, I want to pull up the box score here and have a look at this while I'm talking to you guys. So yeah, you have a, a Purdue team going and really dominating Iowa, 464 yards of total offense, holding the Iowa offense to 271 yards uh, total for the game. Iowa really couldn't get anything going at all. Spencer Petras was was an abomination with <laughs> four picks in that game, really couldn't do anything. Tyler Goodson, Iowa star running back, held to 68 yards, only got 12 carries in that game though, curiously. Um, you would have thought Iowa perhaps would have would have gone to him a little bit more. But the story of the game was David Bell, 240 yards receiving on 11 receptions, one touchdown. The Iowa secondary had absolutely no answer for him. I was uh, really, really impressed by Bell, really impressed by uh, Aiden O'Connell. It looks like Purdue is kind of a quarterback by committee. Uh, Aiden O'Connell, though, in this game got the majority of the snaps. He was 30 of 40 for 375 yards, two touchdowns. And he continued to find David Bell for big plays down the field again and again. So I, I think what this game told me, at least, what my takeaway is, certainly Iowa is not as good defensively as we thought. I think it's it's actually worth kind of reexamining the the result against Penn State the week before. If you if if you guys remember, now Penn State was really in control of that game, seventeen to three over Iowa before Sean Clifford. Penn State's quarterback went down, and that really changed the complexion of the game completely. It enabled Iowa to claw back into that game and eke out that win. But if we kind of re-examine that result, and you have to wonder, Sean Clifford doesn't go down in that game, we probably see a similar result to the one we saw last Saturday against Purdue. Penn State probably runs away with that game. You have to also kind of look back and wonder about Penn State, because uh, you have to wonder, should they have won that game anyway? So it makes me wonder, it makes me kind of second guess who Penn State is, this this Purdue-Iowa result, um, because uh, really I'm kind of looking back on it now, Penn State probably should have won the game over Iowa anyway, in spite of the loss of Clifford. Uh, I also am looking at Purdue in a different light. This is a team that is among the the best defensively, at least statistically, in, in college football. They are a top... 15 defense, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm going to look up the stats here right now. So right now, Purdue, 12th nationally in total defense, only giving up 294, almost 295 yards a game. So this is a team that can play defense. This is a team that has a playmaker in David Bell. They have a pretty dynamic play caller in Jeff Brom. They have a capable quarterback in Aiden O'Connell. Uh, they can do some things offensively in the passing game. Now they're not they're not a great running team, but you know you got a player like David Bell. You have to respect what they can do offensively, and and what we've seen in Ohio State, you know, over the last couple seasons, especially as they've been vulnerable against the pass. You, uh, Purdue also has you know an absolute stud in George Karloftis, their defensive end on the other side of the ball. So yeah, I am looking at this Purdue team. They travel to Columbus. Purdue does a little later this season, and I, you know, I, I'm kind of reevaluating Ohio State's schedule uh, a little bit based on what I saw at Purdue against Iowa last week. These last six games, uh, there there is really no 
no game that Ohio State can really mail in. Now, I, I know I'm predicting a big win on Saturday over Indiana, but if Ohio State doesn't play well in that game, and the Indiana defense, Indiana as a team is good enough to put a scare to them if Ohio State does not play well. They make a lot of mistakes, turn the ball over, commit penalties and that sort of thing. They come home to face Penn State on October 30th, the big matchup. That'll again be a game played in primetime on ABC in the shoe. We're going to see those uh, color rush uniforms, the all scarlets out of Ohio State for that game. I got mixed feelings about those uniforms, by the way. I'm not sure I like those. Following week, Ohio State travels to Nebraska. And this is a Nebraska team that has played everyone really tough for the most part all season. And it's really just kind of, you know, one or two plays, one or two mental mistakes that have been the difference for Nebraska in just about every game they've played this year. That's a game that if Ohio State does not play well, Nebraska has enough to put a scare into them. Nebraska played Michigan uh, two weeks ago, right down to the wire in Lincoln. So that's a game, that's an opponent Ohio State has to respect. And then now you get Purdue coming to the shoe November the 13th. This is right before uh, Sparty on the 20th. That game is also played in the shoe. And then the finale against Michigan on the 27th. I don't know. If I'm looking at those last six games, Penn State, and I said this on last week's pod, that game is of the biggest concern to me because I think they're the most talented team left on Ohio State's schedule. And I also just have respect for how tough Penn State has played Ohio State since James Franklin took the helm there in Happy Valley. Now, they've only been able to produce one win over Ohio State. That was in 2016. But for the most part, Penn State plays Ohio State right down to the final minutes. And uh, and we could see that again next week uh, in the shoe uh, in prime time. We'll see. So that game certainly has me the most concerned. But after that, it might for me be Purdue. And again, I know that's another game that's played in the shoe. I guess kind of, it, you know, a little sidebar here. I I would like to see Ohio State play better in front of its home crowd. I, I really, it, to me, it feels like they tend to take a while to get to get going in front of its home crowd, especially in big games. The opponent seems to be more energized by the, by the environment in the shoe than Ohio State more often than not. And Ohio State usually wins, but I want to see Ohio State play better and get out of the gates quicker at home in, in some of these games. It's certainly against Penn State and definitely against Purdue. But you got Purdue coming in the shoe with a playmaker in David Bell who could give them problems and a player in George Karloftis on the other side of the ball who can, you know, who can get into the backfield and do some things. And granted that that would be against a really good uh, Ohio State offensive line. And and you've got overall a very good Purdue defense that's right there in the top, you know, among the top 15 defenses in the country creative play caller in Jeff Brom and a program in Purdue that's been really a bugaboo for Ohio State, a real thorn in Ohio State's side over the last 20, 25 years. Now, usually it's in West Lafayette where Purdue has been able to spring upsets, but you don't have to look too far back in in history uh, to find uh, Purdue going into the shoe that was 2012 and really having a, a quality Ohio State team on the ropes. The Buckeyes were really, really lucky to win that game. If um, Many Ohio State fans, I'm sure, remember Kenny Guyton coming in relief of Braxton Miller and, uh, and, and rallying Ohio State late, forcing overtime in that game, and the Buckeyes escape with the win to preserve that undefeated season. So, you know, Purdue seems unafraid, undaunted by a matchup with Ohio State historically. And I think this is a good Purdue team with some dudes and a good defense. I'm going to say Second most worrisome game for me on the schedule. 
Coming up in about 25 minutes, and uh, I don't want to ramble on here too much, but I, I do want to go to my gun to my head playoff predictions. Uh, this just a snapshot for me of the top four teams and the, the teams that if the season were to end today, I would put into the playoff field. Uh, for me, it starts with Georgia at number one. Now they've looked, you know, very good, very impressive, but to me, you know, certainly not unbeatable. We all know about the defense, but the offense, at least to me, looks merely good and and not great or special. I, I'd make them the top team right now and, and the team that has played, uh, you know, has been the most consistent and perhaps the most balanced in the country, but uh, they're not 2020 Alabama and I don't think they're 2019 LSU caliber. I think they can be had. Number two, I've got Ohio State. And okay, you know, this is probably a homer pick, but it is interesting. If you go to the pro football focus team grades, Ohio State is number two right behind Georgia. And I know the PFF grades are not the be all end all, but I do think that's interesting. PFF really likes Ohio State. They've got them right behind Georgia in their team rankings. Number three, I'd have Oklahoma. I was kind of down on Oklahoma in last week's pod. I didn't really, wasn't really sold on them, but after watching Caleb Williams again uh, last week, I believe it was against, yeah, it was against TCU. Man, I think he he makes the Sooners a real threat in the playoff race. Now, I still don't know about the Oklahoma defense. Now, that is the, the age-old question with that program. The Sooner D gave up 500 yards of total offense again last week to TCU. They gave up well over 500 the week before against Texas. But to me, they look as good at the skill positions as they've ever been under Lincoln Riley. And Williams looks like Kyler Murray 2.0. So I got I to gotta put Oklahoma there at number three. Finally, I've got Bama at number four. Nick Saban gets the benefit of the doubt from me until the tide loses again. But this particular Bama team looks like the most vulnerable team Saban has had of the last five or six years. All right, that's going to do it for me, everyone. I'm uh, actually not sure... When we'll be back, we're going to do our best to to get the group together at some point next week to look at uh, this coming Saturday's results. And until then, have a great night and thanks for listening. You've been listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and visit our website at southstandsosu.com.